0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. The title of our Bible study tonight is Thankful. Uh, We're going to be in Mark's Gospel. We're going to cover a chunk uh, uh, of verses here, in verses 30 through 44. Um, But as, as we get into this, I remember a story from Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. Uh, so, we start looking at a story about Jesus feeding five thousand men. Um, but again, when we think about our, our gratitude or being thankful, I think about jesus the Luke tells us that he was traveling to Jerusalem and that he was on the border of Galilee again, a region in Samaria, also a region, and that there were ten men who met him, and they were crying out to him they call him jesus master and they they asked for him to have mercy upon them and he, he took time to engage them. They were lepers. Uh, they were, as you know the story, you're familiar with the treatment of lepers. They were considered unclean, and yet Jesus engages them. He speaks to them, and he tells them, I want you to go and show yourself to the priests. And they, as they departed, Luke tells us that while they were on their way, we don't know at what point in time, but while they were on their way, they're healing the healing of their condition was made evident. And so we have these 10 lepers going, but, but he heightens or points our attention to one, a Samaritan, who who upon understanding, seeing that his condition had been completely healed, instead of going to the priest, turns around and returns to Jesus. And the scene is that this man comes immediately uh, upon recognizing his healing that first he worships God and then he returns to Jesus and it says that he falls on the ground and he tells Jesus, thank you. Jesus asks three questions. He says, were not 10 cleansed? That is, were not 10 lepers healed? Were they not healed of their leprosy? The second question was, where are the nine? And then lastly, he asks, were there not found to return and give glory to God um, but this foreigner, this Samaritan, some Bibles say? And I want us to think about that tonight. That upon realizing that God had healed and brought, in a sense, salvation, he will tell the Samaritan that he that he. He is healed, uh, which not only is reference to his condition, but also to his spiritual condition, that is, he was saved by trusting in Christ. But that our response is to be to have thankfulness. History tells us that the common Jewish blessing, I guess, the way we would say this today is uh, when we pray for a meal. Whether it's a formal meal, you know, everyone gathered around the table and the food there in the, in the center and all of us, you know, hungry and, and waiting, having, you know, had the fragrance moving through the house and us appreciating that and finally sitting down. And then we gather together in my family, we typically hold hands and somebody's asked to say the blessing it may maybe one of the grandchildren or one of my kids or sons-in-laws or, or myself, but... We, we all bow our heads and we give thanks for the meal. We also give thanks for the people that are joining us, the people who are there. We won't be too long-winded, uh, but we all give thanks for things like uh, having provision, our jobs and our health. I'm sure your families are the same. Wanda and I, probably because of the generation that we come from and when we became Christians, uh, we'll we'll pause in a restaurant and pray. I don't know if this is too awkward for some of you, but it's something that we do regularly. And again, it's not a long, lengthy uh, prayer of salvation for all those within a couple of booths of us, but we stop and we pray. Sometimes a discussion takes place. Do, Danny, do we pray when the chips and the salsa come or do we have to wait for the, the food? Uh, you know, maybe depending on the restaurant, it'll be the bread and the butter. I mean, you know, those, I believe these are all up to conviction, a personal conviction, but, um, but, but this was the prayer, and it'll be on the screen for you, that Jewish people prayed when Jesus was on earth. I want to read it to you. You can, you can see it on the screen, but I want to read it to you. Praise be to you, O Lord, our God, King of the world. Listen to what what they say. Who makes bread come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you have created. It makes sense to think that Jesus prayed this prayer. Each Each time that he had a meal with the disciples, Each time that he was with his family or others that he would stop being the rabbi and he would pray this prayer. These simple words of thanks are really worship. They worship God by acknowledging his provision, what he has given us. As you think about this, I want you to see God's involvement in bringing food from the ground to the table. From the farm to the store for you and I. Costco for Danny Ramos. But then listen to our table. Do we see God's hand? Do we see God's involvement? Everything from vegetables that are good for you to dessert, which I say amen and amen. I recently had a birthday and so my daughter took me out To one of my favorite restaurants, I I won't tell you which one, and um, she informed the server that it's it's the uh, it's the gentleman it's the gentleman's birthday, and so you'll find out what kind of restaurant it was when they brought me a big sombrero, (laughs) and all the servers came out and sang happy birthday. Uh, offered me an adult beverage, which i didn 't partake of, or uh, I think I frustrated the server a little bit, but uh, i don 't partake and then and then, at the conclusion, and this was the first time nobody eyeballed my dessert, they brought some flan i don 't know if you 're familiar with flan it 's tasty it 's tasty my family can 't handle the texture, but that 's okay i I mean that just means I got all of it, um, but we thank God for dessert w- the sense is this. We understand that everything comes from God to us, and our response is to be thankful. To be thankful. On the screen, you'll see a quote by uh, Timoth- Tim Keller, Timothy Keller, where he says It's one thing to be grateful, it's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. And so we have thankfulness. We have thankfulness for our health and for our relationships. We have thankfulness for maybe our, um, our job. You remember that after a long walk to the village, the small village of Emmaus, that the risen Jesus was invited to share a meal with two new friends. On the walk, Jesus had, had hidden his identity and, and, and made it appear as though he himself was, on, was traveling beyond Emmaus. And these two men were discussing what had just happened in the recent days there in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the word of the resurrection had gotten out, but they were wondering what it all meant. And Jesus joined in with them and acted as, he didn't, as though he didn't really know what was going on. And there they... They engaged Jesus and told him what had happened. And then Jesus began to, and I find this interesting, he began to, as he walked with them, began to explain to them from the Old Testament scriptures, from, from the Law and the Prophets, how Messiah must come and die and raise from the dead. But it was at the meal that something special took place. On the screen you'll see Luke chapter 24 Verse 30, it says, And when he was at the table with them, when Jesus was at the table with these two men, he took bread, he gave thanks, likely this prayer that I just read to you, we just saw on the screen. He gave thanks that he broke the bread, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight two men who had had Jesus explain to him the significance of Messiah's death and resurrection. And then he eats with them. He had acted initially as though he were going to continue to travel on, but then he stops and he eats with them. And in the very simple interaction of praying for the meal and then giving it to them, their eyes were open. Just a couple of thoughts about this before we get started. In the sharing of the meal, in the blessing, and in the bread, two men met with God. What had been hidden from their eyes, Jesus' identity, was revealed as they sat at the table together. I was thinking about this. That this is what you and I experience at the Lord's table. We're going to take, we're going to take communion together at the conclusion of our Bible study. But this is what we experience. We experience his presence in in communion, in the bread and the juice, in a prayer of thanks. We remember Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. And we, listen, we meet with him. And as we meet with him in this manner, we are changed. We are transformed. Our hearts and our nature are altered. They are different. Like these two gentlemen, our eyes become open. Think too of the great prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. So for you or for me, maybe for you, it's a burger. I don't know what your favorite meal is, a burger or burrito. Daily for me, don't feel sorry for me. It's a protein bar and some almonds. Uh, I sit at my desk and I eat the same thing day in, day out. But it is the thanks that we have for whatever it is, listen, that grounds us, that plants us, that causes us to be firm in our faith. I believe that this thankfulness deflects our great enemy, which is pride that says, it's mine, I earned it, it belongs to me. And that whatever it is, it could be anything. Being thankful also results in our being generous to others. Yes, I'm progressing. In preparation, I find this interesting, in preparation for entering the land of promise, God included instruction on how to treat the poor. It it was anticipated that there would be poor. It was expected Unlike the other nations, Israel was to be appreciative for what they possessed and they were to be generous. It was a number of, I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy, but it was a number of years ago. There was, um, I won't be too specific, but there was an individual who she she was in continual need. And so, from time to time, she would come to you know various pastors here on staff, and you know we would we would help her you know with whatever she needed. It could be you know it could it, it, it could be you know helping to, to pay a bill or or providing some groceries. It was it wasn't uncommon, but we understood her need. We we understood what the church is really all about, and that's helping people. It's, sometimes it's spiritual. The help is spiritual, and other times it's very practical probably one of the most profound things that have ever happened to me in ministry when one of the pastors that helped her. And it came to my attention that the, that the financial amount of the help that had been given, that she tithed on that. She gave 10% of it back to God. It reminded me of the story in that last last day that Jesus was in the temple and, and it was when people were bringing their gifts and offerings into the treasury. And Mark's careful to tell us that they put in out of their excess. And Jesus sees a, wo- a widow, obviously apparent by her, by her clothing. He says so she dropped in two small coins, the smallest minted coins in the, in the temple. And Jesus tells his disciples do you see that widow there were thousands 15,000 people could fit into the court of the women that's where the treasury was but Jesus says do you see that woman she put in all that she had our thankfulness for what we have will always lead to gratitude now back to kind of got distracted here but back to Deuteronomy chapter 15 Where the Lord says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in the land. I I believe there's a New Testament passage that complements the Old Testament law in 1 John 3:17, where John says, But if anyone has the world's goods, that kind of widens this beyond finances if anyone has food, if anyone has clothing, if anyone has shelter, if any one of you in the church has these things and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, he asks this question, how then does God's love abide in him? These words are challenging. These words are challenging. John Bunyan, uh, the, the The man who gave us the song Amazing Grace said, You have not lived today until you have done something for someone who cannot repay you. You have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. And the idea is that this is the response of our gratitude. This is the response of our thankfulness. In our study tonight, Jesus will give rest to to some very tired apostles. In all honesty, I was a little uh, fatigued this weekend after spending three nights here uh, in prayer. Now, the nights were, f- were great. Danny Ramos is an early to better. He's an early riser, but he's an early to better. And i got to tell you, the nights were great, but um, I was tired. And so I could appreciate Jesus taking the time to give rest to his apostles. He also will provide um, happy meals to over 5,000 hungry people. And you're familiar with the story. But, but what do we do with this story, this popular Sunday school story? I believe that one of, the, one of the applications for this story is that from time to time, evil whispers into our ears that God is holding back from you. That God hears the prayers of everybody else in the room but you. That evil whispers into our intellect, into our mind, that God is stingy. That he has plenty, but he doesn't give to you. And I believe tonight's story refutes that. That God withholds no good thing from his children. Listen to me. God withholds nothing from you. He might not give it to you when you think you should have it, but he will give it to you when you need it. Let's go ahead and, and, and look at our first uh, couple of verses here. We have the feeding of the 5,000 in verses 30 through 44. So we see God's provision of rest. That's where we begin. Verse 30 says the apostles returned to Jesus. The idea is they had been out two by two ministering. Remember, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together, but Jesus brings the disciples to himself, and then he sends them in various directions, telling them, I want you to preach the gospel, I want you to heal the sick, and I want you to heal uh, or deliver people from the power of evil. And these were the very things that he himself had been doing. These are the very things that the disciples had watched Jesus over a period of time. And now he pairs them up, he puts them together. Two, side by side, holding each other accountable, encouraging each other. There's no lone ranger amongst them. He has them together. But it says now that they had returned to Jesus. And they were told him all that they had done and taught. And I believe that there's an element of excitement. Maybe even awe. Jesus, there was a man who was lame. And I anointed him with oil and I prayed with him and he stood to his feet. Can you imagine that God shared his ministry and his power with such ordinary individuals? And there was an excitement. I remember my children, and they would go off to a camp of some sort, you know, a weekend camp or a week-long camp. They would return. They would return with two things. They were tired and they had dirty clothes, but they were also very excited about the things that they had done and experienced on their camp. The disciples return. And verse 31 says that he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. The idea is come away with me. Come and be with me. Why did he say this? The balance of verse 31 says for many were coming and going. That is people coming and going. And they had no leisure even to eat. That is they didn't have time to stop and eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place, a deserted place, by themselves. Now many, that is the people who were coming and going, saw saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now John's gospel is helpful here because John helps us see that Jesus and his disciples arrive at this desolate place before the people. He also tells us that it is the time of Passover, and so people would have naturally been traveling to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. Let me just say a couple things on this before we move on. Rest, rest, real rest, can be elusive. It could be elusive. I don't know why that when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do, even before I get out of bed, especially when I have my electric blanket on and it's cold, you know, the house is cold, the condominium is cold, I'm laying there, and I begin this, this list begins to go, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that. First thing you need to do is turn on the heater. Turn the f- furnace back on. I don't care what San Diego Gas and Electric has to say about this. Turn it on. It's cold out there. A matter of fact, those of you that, I hear about those of you that move to these places where, like, it's really cold. I mean, like, really, really cold. God bless you. I will not be visiting you in the wintertime. I got to tell you that right now. This California boy ain't going nowhere. But rest can be it could be elusive. It could, it could be something that's hard for us to track down. Now, I personally know some people who schedule taking a break into their weekly rhythm. And it could be a day, or it could be a part of a day. It could be a day of the week, but they understand that they need rest. Others, having less control over their busy schedules, do the best they can. They understand that they need it, but sometimes their schedules don't allow it. Think about this. Sometimes it's our attitude about unplugging is, is what's important. Understanding and knowing that I need to unplug from all the things that I do, very important things, and be with Jesus. I want you to see here in verse 31 Jesus initiates rest. This is God's idea. He initiates rest. He initiates stopping. He says, come away by yourselves to a des- desolate place and rest a while. Now, I recognize that some of you online or some of you that are, that are sitting here, this is hard for you. It's not hard for me, but it's a challenge for you because you feel like you never do Enough. And I want you, as we look at the story tonight, we won't be too long. We'll observe communion in a moment. But I want you to just see Jesus' invitation as granting you permission to stop, to slow down. And I also want you to think about this. When we do this, it doesn't mean we're not being productive or that we're not being active. It means that we recognize that apart from a physical body is that you have a soul. That you are a soul in possession of a physical body. And certainly your physical body needs sleep and many things. But so does your soul. Jesus says, come away with me. In Luke chapter 10, there's a story about the busyness of Martha and the stillness of Mary. Uh, Sisters. The assumption is is that Martha is older and the home that, that they live in. and So it's Martha and Mary and Lazarus we're not going to talk about Lazarus we're just going to talk about the two sisters but the structure of the story infers that the home belongs to Martha and in the uh, ancient ancient Middle East hospitality her reputation within the community hinged on how people felt when they came to her home so we have these two sisters and Jesus comes in with the disciples they're due east of Jerusalem just you know couple of miles away, not too far. And as Jesus comes into the home, he begins to teach. And we find Mary sitting at Jesus's feet. And I believe that not only did she hear his words, but she, she observed his facial expression. It seems like she was the one who heard and understood and comprehended when he spoke of his death, unlike any of the other disciples. One more thing. For a woman to sit at the feet of a teacher or rabbi was unusual. It was reserved for students. It was reserved for disciples who were primarily men, and yet Mary makes her way to sit at Jesus' feet. And we find Martha busy in the kitchen. The terminology says, distracted by many things. The original language suggests that she was pulled in multiple directions at the same time, And Jesus said, you are anxious and worried about many things. I wonder, I understand that this isn't the case in every person's dealing with anxiety. But I wonder, I wonder if an aspect of us dealing with our worry and our concern and at times feeling overwhelmed, I wonder if part of the answer is pulling away and spending time at the Lord's feet when I do so personally it's when I sing now not many people hear me sing Wanda my wife will hear me sing sometimes as she sits back over here in this corner it's when I sing it's when I pray it's when I confess my sin it's when I pray for others and, and, and my friends whether it's five minutes or a half hour, or the, the time has less to do than what you do. I wonder if some of our anxiety would be alleviated if we spent time at Jesus' feet like Mary. Jesus says these words to Martha in his defense of Mary. Mar- uh, of Mary. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The idea is that Mary, Mary's being with Jesus, experiencing this communion, if you will, was of the highest priority in the moment, the benefit of which she would never lose. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer writes, Hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. Maybe this is an oversimplification. But Jesus would speak into our lives, slow down. Be still. I got it. Trust me. So we're going to move on from these 12 excited apostles wanting to tell Jesus about everything that happened on their recent short-term missions trip. We're going to move on from these people who at that point in time were, uh, were forming long lines and we're going to now move on to verse 34 through 44. God's provision, God's provision of compassion. It says that when he went ashore, that is from the boat, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, that is, the day moved on, the sun was about to set, his disciples came to him, they initiate this, and they said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them, that is, the people away, to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy food, uh, buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37, Jesus engages the disciples. And it says, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200, uh, buy 200 denarii uh, worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, We have five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And this is one of those verses that suggests Peter's first person. Telling of the story, even though Mark's giving it to us, it comes through Peter. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, listen, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He offered up a prayer of thanks, and he broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. That was the food that would have been left over. And those who ate the loaves were about 5,000 men. I find it interesting that as the disciples are with Jesus and the people begin to come, that the response are that the disciples are a little reluctant to engage with the people. They're probably tired, but Jesus, we're told, Jesus sees them in verse 34 as sheep without a shepherd. One of the the mindsets of the people of this time is that a spiritual leader or a king, you can go back into the Old Testament, so it could have been a prophet or a priest or a king, was likened into a shepherd. Someone who would love the people and care for the people and take care of the people. Yet Jesus sees the people, remember John tells us they're on their way to Jerusalem for Passover. He sees them as sheep, vulnerable sheep, with no shepherd, with no one to tend for them, care for them, provide for them. Tragically, God's people had no one to care for them. They were oppressed by the religious system. When we hear Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, it's descriptive of the people at this time. Mark highlights Jesus' response. It says that he had compassion on them. That is, he was moved. He was moved to meet their needs. He was moved to be their shepherd. In the very same verse, it says that he began to teach them. You know, one of the things that, as we come to Jesus, is that he sees our greatest need. That he sees beyond maybe our physical needs. Challenges And he looks into our heart, he looks into our spirit, and he sees our need. And he desires to be, listen, he desires to be your shepherd. He desires to be the one that you can look to. He invites you to look to him, for him to lead you beside the still waters and that you might have your soul restored, strengthened, built up. Jesus uses the situation now to instruct the disciples about what the kingdom of God is like. And he, and he says to them as they interrupt ministry and says, you know, you need to send them away so they can provide for themselves. He says, you give them something to eat. One of the things that marked them going out two by two, and again, it was a couple of weeks ago, is Jesus says, listen, he says, take no bread with you. Take no bread with you. You can take a walking stick, you can take one pair of clothes, but I want you to be dependent upon God's provision as he will meet it through the people that you minister to. They were to trust God to meet their needs through the generosity of others. One of the things that I've experienced personally over the years is that it takes humility to receive from someone else. It's much easier to give and to provide for others. It's much harder to receive. Verse 38, Jesus asks, how many loaves do you have? Go see. The disciples return with a very small portion of food, five loaves and two fish. The staggering need is to feed 5,000 men, likely ten to 15,000 people, including women and children. Mark tells us that the miracle took place in Jesus' hands. It says in verse 41, And taking the five loaves and the, and the two fish, Jesus receives from the disciples the bread and the fish, and it says that he looks up to heaven and he prays. And he blesses it, and listen, it says that he begins to, with his hands, begin to break the bread and the fish. Our imaginations tell us that Jesus gives thanks. He tears the loaves and the fish. And as he does so, it is multiplied. The abundance of food comes directly from God. His compassion fed the crowds, the disciples continually coming to Jesus. And there's more, and there's more, and there's more. And the miracle takes place in Jesus' hands. Verse 42 says that they all ate and were satisfied, and no one was hungry. Everyone was full. So as we close, we see that the miracle, that the multiplication, that the provision takes place in the hands of Christ. I think, I was thinking about the The miracle of changing the water to wine. The first miracle recorded in John's gospel. The intent of John giving us the miracle so that we might see Jesus' deity and the glory associated with the miracle. And how he instructs those who were waiting at the wedding to go over to these these stone um, uh, containers that had water that was present simply for the ceremonial washing. He says go over and fill you know to fill your containers with this water and in doing so the water was transformed into wine stop and think about this nobody at the wedding knew that they had run out of wine nobody at the wedding understood that the wine that would be that they would begin to consume in the celebration of this of of this at this wedding of this marriage that as the wine was brought to them and they partook, the individual that was responsible for the wedding noted that the quality of the wedding was the best. But think about this. There was no vineyard, there was no vine, there was no grape, there was no process of fermentation that took place for that wine. It was a creative miracle that took place at the word of Jesus. And in the same way you and I come to Jesus, that there is a creative miracle of restoration of our souls that will, that will in turn into thanksgiving. The miracle of the multiplication of the bread and the fish, the mention of abundance is an expression of what the kingdom of God is like. We, like the disciples, receive from the Lord and give to those who are spiritually and physically in need. The Apostle Paul's words to the Ephesian church affirm this idea, and we close with this verse. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, the multiplication of the bread and the fish, the transformation of water to wine. Listen, the transformation of your character and your nature to become more like Christ Jesus is not dependent upon your ability or my ability to do this or do that or not do this or not do that. It's a complete and total dependence upon Jesus to work a creative miracle in you and in me. Let me take it one step further. You pray for somebody, you see that they are in need, and you pray for them, and your hope is that the hands of God would change and transform, would soften and stir their hearts. It's not by your ability or my ability to do anything in their lives. It's by turning to God and saying, Lord, will you do what we cannot do? Will you work a miracle of transforming the human heart? And that, my friends, that, my friends, is what the story of the multiplication of the bread and the fish entails. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.